Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid, Lucid Lab. Lab. We are very full right now. We just came back from eating a massive poke bowl. It's deceiving. You think it's not as much as it is. <laughs> and then it just expands. It always lasts me two days. Yeah. I'll do a version where there's a bunch of salad stuff on top. I'll eat all the salad stuff. And then the next day I'll heat it up with the rice that's on the bottom. It was really good. I feel like we had a good healthy lunch and now we're ready to start talking about this episode and maybe not fall asleep. I know. Hopefully I'll keep Jessica awake. (laughs) It's afternoon after a heavy meal. Who knows? (laughs) I'm pretty tired. As always, I had a really cool experience with my daughter the other day. Oh, yeah. So I was taking her to school. We were late. It's like the story of my life. (laughs) And we were at a light. There was this bird. I think it was a magpie. And it landed on the sign that's in the median. Mm -hmm. I was like a one car away from it. But I saw it and I looked at it and it looked like he was opening his mouth a bunch. So I, you know, rolled down my window so I could hear him. So we're listening to him tweet, tweet away or whatever he's saying. And then another one flew and landed right by my car. And before I knew it, the one that was on the sign, he came and landed on my mirror whoa and he's like staring at us and I was like and I was my reaction was really funny I like didn't get scared or anything I was just like hello (laughs) and he looked at me like he cocked his head he's like "Ooh, what is this woman to me and I wanted him to stay longer but the light was changing and the lady right next to us started inching forward so he flew off but it was a really cool moment to have with my daughter because we were the only one that was admiring them, and maybe they could feel that. I don't know. I think cool they do. Moment. That brings up a thing I saw recently on social media, and it was raining, and it was a rat. And what's so crazy about that, so I saw it for like two seconds, and immediately tears came yes. to my eyes, and I was like, why am I so emotional it over was this a, sweet rat? <laughs> it was a rat dancing in the rain. If you haven't seen it, it's probably gone super viral by now, but it <laughs> did. It made me feel so like attached to this little rat. No, He was like, oh. Rain and at one time he tried to jump up and get one or something. So cute. It was so like, cute. Animals are just amazing, all of them, even the ones that maybe like a rat yeah. scare people. But oh, they're really cute at the yeah. end of the day if you really look closely at a rat and they're smart. And they are. My friend had rats growing up and yeah. I, I'm not afraid of any animal. Me neither. Like nothing bothers me whatsoever. I'm not even afraid. Like we've talked about spiders many times, which speaking of which, I went to take a shower the other day and I opened the door and one like fell off right onto the counter right next to oh. the sink. And it was like looking at me. I could see its little eyes and it was like moving its front little legs. Oh, Elizabeth, if, yeah, Elizabeth would have had like a conniption fit by now. And I'm just sitting there looking at it and I start talking to the spider because I'm a weirdo now. <laughs> It was just a cute little moment. And then it crawled off and I was like, bye. (laughs) Yeah, I don't do anything with spiders either. There's one right by my front door when you walk in. I didn't show you because he's not moving anywhere. It's cold. Yeah, it's cold. You just leave him alone. For the most part, these guys are just like, hey, it's winter. Leave me alone. I'm going to curl up right here. I will not do anything. I like spiders because they kill mosquitoes. How do they catch them? In their web? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that was a stupid question. I don't have very many mosquitoes inside my house, I guess. That's hilarious. It jumps on it yeah. and then it bites it. <laughs> they have to move really fast to go find that one mosquito in my house. The other thing that eats mosquitoes are the bats, which yeah. I love bats. I yeah, think they're really cool. 
They're like just clawed little baby teddy bears. They are. They have the cutest little faces. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to hold a bat, actually. Yeah. I'd love to. Just the videos that I've seen. I don't know if there's a place you can go and pet bats. I mean, I know that there's some diseases with some of them. So you can't just go touch things. So don't they carry leprosy or bubonic plague or something? If you believe the stories, it's what caused COVID. Oh, they also give you rabies. Which would suck. It's interesting that we are talking about bats because it kind of fits in with our episode today. And what is that going to be? So I'm venturing into, I guess you would call it paranormal, although I don't know how paranormal you can really say it is. We're talking about the Pendle Hill witch trials that happened in England back in the 1600s. So wicked history. Wicked history. And maybe some of them actually were witches. Yeah. So this story does have a little bit of difference from other witch trials because in most trials, the women said they were innocent. In this trial, we actually have some that believe they are witches. Oh, okay. It is the most famous European trial. It is also a precursor to the Salem witch trials that happened here in America. Okay. In fact, I would go as far as to say it's the origin story. Okay. I did come across this myself and it was actually on my list. Was she it? didn't see it. I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know really anything about it. I knew Salem was on your list. So I was hoping I could do this and kind of tee you up for oh. your Salem. Okay. So I was hogging all the witch stories. I was like, you, can, you do not get all the witch stories. I actually was just looking for something because I've been stuck in this true crime rut. And I came across this and it drew me in because of the history, honestly. Mm-hmm. I haven't done a historical one in a while, probably since Roanoke. So I thought it would be cool. And we've had a influx of UK listeners lately. I know we have. <laughs> we have a lot. And so this is also a little hey thing guys. for them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're going to bring you something from your side of the world. It's probably not something you're super proud of. But <laughs> <laughs> when preparing for this, I did watch quite a few videos and they were all done by people who live in Scotland and England. So I feel like I got the authentic story here. So hopefully I do it justice. You will. In the early modern period from about 1400 to 1775, about 100,000 people were prosecuted for witchcraft in Europe and what would become America. Between 40 and 60,000 were executed. Oh my gosh. It's a lot. That is a lot. Prosecutions for witchcraft reached a high point from 1560 to 1630. Among the lower classes, accusations of witchcraft were usually made by neighbors and formal accusations were made as much by women as men. So it was not one or the other. Everybody was accusing their neighbors. Yeah, I've heard that. Magical healers were known in Europe as cunning folk, and they were sometimes looped in with this and prosecuted for witchcraft. 80% of those convicted were women, most of them over the age of 40. Hmm. I guess that does surprise me, the age part of it. Women who were aging in Europe, especially ones that perhaps had men who had already passed on, like their husbands. Oh, They were kind of yeah. seen as a burden on society. They were seen as suspect if they didn't remarry. So when you think of it from that perspective, it kind of makes sense. Medieval folks suspected that the devil was carrying out his evil work on earth with the help of his minions, which included witches. And in 1484, what kind of started all of the witch fever was the Pope. It was Pope Innocent VIII, and he declared in one of his papal bulls, 
which is an official public decree or charter that is released by the Pope. He specifically addressed the presence of witches and witchcraft in the Holy Roman Empire and authorized a formal inquisition into their activities. This had the result of creating witch hunts across Europe, and they would last for nearly 200 years. Jeez, Pope. Yeah, shut up. What the hell? <laughs> you know, dude. Pope Innocent. Two years after Pope Innocent's decree, the Malleus Maleficarum, which sounds like a Harry Potter book. <laughs> it does. <laughs> translated as the Hammer of Witches. It's the best known writing about witchcraft. It was written by the German Catholic clergyman Heinrich Kramer and was published in Germany in 1486. Of course, it's published in Germany. Of course. <laughs> Kramer blamed women for his own lust and presented his views as the church's position. He basically okay. said that women were sorcerers, witches, whatever, and that they he couldn't drew resist him. him. Yes, exactly, because they must be these witchy temptresses. This has been around forever. Men have always blamed women for things. I don't get that. Like, we can't do anything if you get a heart on. I'm sorry. Your body. You can't control that. We have to control our own bodies. The Malleus calls sorcery heresy, which was a crime at the time, and recommends that all courts prosecute it as such. The Malleus suggests torture to get confessions and death as the only certain way to end the evils of witchcraft. Oh my goodness. When it was published, heretics were often sentenced to be burned alive at the stake. So that's where it started. Okay. The Catholic Church came out and condemned the Malleus, but Wait. for whatever reason, it was written by a Catholic, but it wasn't. Okay. He was a clergyman, but the church came out and said, this does not represent what we believe as the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. But it was too late and it was kind of already cat out of the bag kind of a thing. And it was popular among everyone. So okay, gotcha. damage was already done. Yeah. And that would actually start the witch hunts. The main hub in the beginning was in the Germanic regions where the Malleus had come out and Scotland. I could do a whole series on the amount of witch trials that happened all over Europe. Germany has a ton. Mm. Scotland has a lot. Yeah. But today we're focused on England. The witch fever came to England later than many other areas, but it raged further and affected more women and men. I'm assuming these are just men that were like in association with the women or were they warlocks? You know, I didn't see warlock come up anywhere. They just called them all witches. Okay. So the start of witch fever in England begins with none other than King Henry VIII. We all know him. He's the one that had six wives. <laughs> and he was married to Catherine of Aragon and decided he didn't want to be married to her anymore. He went to the Catholic Church and they told him he could not have a divorce. But you can have many wives. Well, I don't know if you know all of this. I've watched The Tudors, which is an amazing show. Oh, I haven't show. watched The Tudors. That's the only reason I know all of this. Okay. I'll fill all of you in. Here's what happened. King Henry VIII was having many affairs. He had one affair with Miss Anne Boleyn and he decided that he wanted to marry her. So when the Pope said he couldn't have a divorce, he was like, wait a minute, why am I letting the Catholic Church tell me what to do? I'm the fucking king. And so <laughs> he renounced the Catholic faith and he awarded himself as the head of the church and state. Uh -oh. And he created the Church of England. Oh, okay. I don't know much about this. I've seen the other Bowling Girl, but I don't really remember. I didn't know a lot about how persecuted Catholics were in England until really doing this research. Interesting. So with that, he created his own church and he made a number of statutes basically asserting that the Pope had no power in England and anyone who stayed loyal to the Catholic faith would be in 
treason to their mm. king, their king should be who they essentially worship, both mm-hmm. as their political leader and now as their spiritual leader. But he was the only one allowed to have six wives, I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, when you are the head of the church, I guess you get to make your own rules. Mm. I don't think that Protestant religions denounce divorce quite as heavily as the Catholic religion. Yeah. And this was kind of the start of that. So this is when England became a Protestant country and Catholics were seen, as I said, treasonous. And there were people looking to find those who were still practicing Catholicism in secret. Oh. And those who have been to a Catholic mass and know a lot about the Catholic religion. It's a very ritualistic. practice yeah could almost say there's I mean there's a lot we could go into there's a lot of origins from pagan religions that the Catholic Church kind of stole right if you think about the ramifications of this you have a king who's saying people who are still worshiping in a Catholic way are treason to this new Church of England Mm -hmm. and these people are still doing it in secret and when they're doing it in secret it's done in a kind of ritualistic fashion you could see that that could be construed as looking like a witch (laughs) yeah Gotcha. So while they were out looking for naughty Catholics who were still allegiance to, (laughs) that still had their allegiance towards the Pope, there was also all of these whispers coming about witches. They kind of, for whatever reason, got lumped in with the Catholics. This time in Europe, I think being a witch or being a Catholic, one or the other was just as bad. Yeah. And we'll see this when we go into some of the witch trials. There were a lot of people who were probably just loyal Catholics getting convicted as witches. Mm. This came to a head in 1542, Henry VIII issued the Witchcraft Act, and this was the first one to define witchcraft as a felony and a crime punishable by death in England. So we had all the other laws in the other parts of Europe, but this was really what brought it to England. In this Witchcraft Act is that if you were convicted, all of your property and goods would also be surrendered to the state. Okay, well then that gives you motive to name anybody a witch. (laughs) Exactly. So you can see these are all motivating factors for Mm -hmm. why neighbors would start pointing each other out. Especially the mean girls. Then we had another wonderful king enter the realm after Henry died. James VI of Scotland, he would eventually become James I of England. Okay. Let's talk about before he became King of England, he married a woman named Anne and she was from Denmark. And Denmark actually had a long history of witch hunts and witch trials. And when James visited the country, he became obsessed with rooting out witches. Of course. Again, just an excuse to impart some violence among women. Something. Two women. Well, it's power. When he brought Anne from Denmark back to Scotland, they were caught in a terrible storm and James took it as a sign that a witch had tried to sabotage their journey and murder him and his new queen. Oh, brother. They decided that the witch who had cursed them was a woman named Agnes. He pulled her out from wherever she lived and he insisted on being present to witness the torture she underwent before she was finally found guilty and executed in Edinburgh in January of 1591. In Scotland specifically, the punishment for being guilty of witchcraft was to be burned at the stake. 
Mm-mm. In England and Wales at the time, the punishment for being a witch was to be hanged. Okay. Scotland was in the throes of witch fever, and it spread to England when James became the king. So even mm. though Henry VIII had started the Witchcraft Act, it hadn't really taken hold. Like there would be one or two people here and there. Mm-hmm. But it was really James that brought it to a head. James, James, James. You're supposed to be good, James. So let's talk a little bit more about James because he is a zealot and fanatic in many ways. He was the king responsible for writing the version most of us are familiar with, which is the King James Bible. Oh, really? It has been argued that a translation choice in the King James Bible justified horrific human rights violations and fueled this epidemic of witchcraft accusations. That verse is Exodus 22:18. It is, do not suffer a witch to live. Well, that's the way that James translated it. But if you look back at the original Roman Catholic version, it would be, do not suffer a poisoner to live. Oh, he changed it. (laughs) So he translated it as witch and Mm. used that as his fuel to drive his witch hunts. Oh, wow. Okay. So you don't believe what you read. No, you don't know how things have been translated. This is in many, many books, especially the holy books or the religious books. Like they can take it and spin it whatever way they want. The original word was in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And so you got to choose which one. It could be one or the other. He chose which. And this became the most popular Bible because he was the king at the time. And witches were irrelevant at the time. James advocated the importance of only punishing those who were actually guilty. But he set the precedent when he was the one that went and found this woman, Agnes and tortured her almost to the brink of death. And that kind of gave everybody the idea of, okay, well, we have to really do these full interrogations to find out if they Mm. are guilty. And many, many people died just in the interrogation phase of the witch trials. Because he had bad weather. That's crazy. And we're about to talk about even more with that and why they think the witch craze started. And a lot of it had to do with the weather. Hmm. Because this was a time of more famine and they were looking for a reason. Had to blame somebody. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people would say, oh, well, this witch down the road, she She made it where it went it rained so that my crops (laughs) didn't grow and I would be poor. This was also a very tough time, and this kind of reminds me of what's going on here right now. Ordinary people were struggling. There was all this religious strife between Catholics and Protestants. There was political arguments going on that were leading to civil war in certain parts of the country, and inflation was high. Food was expensive, everyday items, and there was a huge increase in the gap between the rich and the poor. Sounds like right now. Sounds like America today. (laughs) Are we going to have what trial starting again? I think we already do. In a different way. I think it depends. Again, we're coming back to America as a bunch of little countries all in one. Yeah. And I think it depends on where you live. But all this presidential stuff coming up is scary. 2024 is a scary year because it's election year. And we see what these politicians are trying to do. Yeah, that's what scares me are some of the agendas that are in the future for some of these people. And I just feel like reading and researching for this episode, we have always been at the mercy of politicians and men who want power. Yep, like that's these kings, all it is. And we're just their pawns. We're their playthings. You and I, yep. we're the witches. <laughs> I would probably be accused of witchcraft or both of us would be we for would be, saying I've the already, things that we say. Well, and I've already said I am one. So they're going to be like, well, she admitted it. So yep, go yep. take her. I heard her while well, we have it recorded. So we're fucked. 
During these tough times, people were looking for things to turn to. Hundreds of the common folk were turning to what I mentioned earlier, the cunning men and the cunning women. I would call them kind of like alternative medicine providers. I like the name. Cunning. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. So because there was this huge gap between rich and poor, the normal common people couldn't afford to go to regular doctors. Yeah, which also is very reminiscent of what's going on in America with health Mm -hmm. insurance. And so they would go to the cunning men and the cunning women because they could give them herbal remedies. They can make them potions. They would also be the ones that would be like your tarot readers. Yeah. They would predict what the weather was going to be. They would help predict what the harvest would look like, the health of their livestock. They would answer those kind of questions, read the tea leaves, you know, Mm -hmm. things that we know of. But what would begin to happen is that if they predict did something and it didn't go the way that they said, then people would begin taking them to court and saying that they cursed them. Oh, wow. So the weathermen of the day were the cunning man and cunning woman. And kind of. they yes. weren't good then either. <laughs> Or if you were, I don't know, suffering from some form of cancer or gout Mm -hmm. and you went and took a potion that the cunning woman made for you and then you died, they'd be like, she poisoned him. Well, she technically did, but (laughs) who knows what she was getting at. (laughs) It became where many murders were associated with witchcraft. They would take the form of poisoning or if something happened, like I said, at their house, if one of their animals died, they would say, that woman cursed me and it led to nature pointing against neighbor and even among families pointing fingers at each other yeah probably even children so it created this generational yes we'll talk about children so there was this whole idea that witchcraft was true and the cunning folk were seen as that and they would make their living saying that they had these powers Mm. and it could be a very lucrative job for you if you were successful and say your potions worked for whoever Right. Then you would get a big following and you would make good money. But you always had the chance that (laughs) if you piss somebody off, you might get taken to court. I bring all of this up because it will make sense when we start talking about those accused in Pendle Hill. So during the witch trials, there would be evidence brought, but peculiar standards were applied to these type of cases. And the evidence brought was pretty weak in a lot of ways. It'd be like, oh, I saw them do this or... Yeah. There weren't really many facts about it. And you could even bring up something that happened years and years before. It didn't have to be something that just happened today. Mm. You could be like, well, 10 years ago, my dad died. And I know that she did it because she didn't like him. And... She cursed him. And those kinds of things were coming up and they were being taken seriously. It's ridiculous. There was never a possibility if you were accused of witchcraft to even offer an alibi. So they couldn't defend themselves in any way is what you're saying. How do you defend yourself when they say she turned that guy into a toad? Well, maybe (laughs) that guy just disappeared and then there was a toad on your doorstep and people were like, well, there's no way to prove that she didn't. And they were saying that witchcraft was an invisible force and there was really no tangible evidence showing one way or the other. So it was like this very ambiguous way to take people to trial and it would just be he said, she said. You can get rid of a lot of people that way. And they did. Blame something on them. The way that they questioned them involved torture. They used various torture devices to Mm. coerce confessions and also try and get them to provide names of their alleged co-conspirators. Some of them would be deprived of sleep for up to three or four days and continually questioned. They would force them to sit 
sit on red hot stools. Stools? Yes. We've all heard of the water torture that they gave to witches where they would basically almost drown them. Yeah. In most cases, those who were somehow able to endure the torture without confessing would be released. Which seems like a witchy thing to accomplish. Right. If you think about it. You think it. about it. So after all of these political going-ons between Henry VIII and James I, we get to 1612, and this is when it reaches the town of Lancashire. And this is where we will get into the most infamous witch trials in English history. So first of all, we got to talk about Lancashire and Lancaster. So Lancaster was the head of Lancashire, and it has a really dark history. It's a very small city, but it wasn't granted city status until the 1930s. It was actually more of like a police state. Lancaster Castle was the prison. Oh, that's why there's dark history. Yeah. And it was actually still being used as a prison all the way up until 2011. Oh, wow. Lancaster also was known as hanging the most people in England, second only to London, which was the capital that made sense. So the nickname of Lancaster was the Hanging Town. Mm. And Lancashire was a long way from London. It was in the northwest region of England. And it was a long way from London in more than one ways because it was very different mindset there. Okay. It was described as a dark corner of the land full of troublemakers and subversives. Ooh, I'm just picturing tons of movies now. (laughs) I know. They were most known for being very sympathetic to the Catholic Church. Mm, Okay. Which was a problem because it is now Protestant England and Henry VIII set that precedent and James I was carrying it on. Mm. So during King Henry VIII's takeover of the church, he shut down all of the abbeys, which is where all the nuns Mm, would live. And they shut down the one in Pendle Hill and the people were openly upset about it. And so that kind of put them on the map as an area that could be treasonous. Right. Also, when King Henry VIII died, there was a short period of time where Queen Mary, who was known as Bloody Mary, came to power and she tried to revert the country back to Catholicism. Interesting. She gained her nickname Bloody Mary because she did it in a very brutal way. Oh, not as interesting. (laughs) Actually, kind of interesting. I don't know. She killed a lot of people in the name of Catholicism, which I think is pretty against the religion, but whatever. The people in Pendle Hill, as soon as Queen Mary came to throne, they were like, cool, we're back on it. We're Catholic again. But then Queen Mary didn't last very long and along came everyone else. And now we're at James I, who's Mr. Protestant, writing his own version of the Bible. So he has his eye on this area. Oh, no. Back into hiding. Yes. Something to know about when James first took the throne in England, there was a plot against him. It was known as the gunpowder plot, and it was a failed attempt to assassinate the king in 1605 when he was anointed or whatever they do as king. And the plan was organized by a devout English Catholic who hoped to kill the Protestant King James and bring Catholic rule back to England. Just one guy? Well, there was a whole group of them, but the main guy was Robert Catsby. So when James assumed the throne, he brought his witch suspicions with him into England, not only had he worked on the Bible, he had written a book on his own talking about the importance of hunting witches, and it was called Demonology. I've heard of this. And it stressed the importance of persecuting witches in a Christian society. It was a little notch below the Malleus Maleficarum, Mm -hmm. but it was still a dangerous book. At the time, it was what everyone kind of took as the new Bible in a way of witch hunting, and it actually Mm. led to a bunch of people 
people coming out as witch hunters. So I think about yeah. like when you talk about the vampire. Exactly. That's where I've heard of this book, actually. Because yes. it was brought up by someone else who was talking about the vampires and that this book was used. And mm-hmm. so it brought about this whole new, I guess, profession. Yeah, witch hunters. Of witch hunting. They were also called witch finders. They felt like they had the right to accuse and torture their neighbors until they were forced to admit to performing witchcraft. Couldn't say no, though. Nope. So with James first in the seat and him just being threatened with his life by the gunpowder plot, he added Catholics to the list of people that were just as bad as witches, as I said before. So he asked every justice of the peace, specifically in the northern parts of England, to start compiling a list of people in the area who are not showing up regularly to take communion at church. Oh, okay. But the Church of England. The Church of England. Yeah. So something else that you should know is that part of the acts that King Henry VIII passed is that you were required to go to church. You were required to take communion at the Church of England. And if you did not show up and you did not have good reason, like you were sick or something like that, you would be also considered treasonous. Can't you just go check on them? How many chances do you get? This is like school. I don't know. I don't like this. Like no, it's forced. horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And they thought this was how they would root out people who were evil and witchcraft and Catholic. Like I said, they were kind of one and the same in England at this time. The problem is all of these justice of the peace that they asked to compile a list. Well, one of the worst ones just happened to live in Pendle Hill. His name is Roger Noel. He was very ambitious. He was a religious zealot and he wanted to move up in the world. And he knew King James I, the way to get his attention would be to find people who were either Catholics or witches. Yeah. More about him in a minute. Okay. So we're in Lancashire now and I've talked about the cunning women and men. There are two families in Lancashire that were operating as the local cunning women. They were rival families because they both wanted to make as much money as possible. Hmm. One of them was Elizabeth Southerns and she was known as Lizzie. <laughs> she was known as Old Demdike. Old Demdike? Yes. And then her other rival was known as Old Chaddix. Like Chaddix better. <laughs> Yeah, Demdike sounds almost like a slur. Yeah. I promise it's not. Old Chaddock's real name was Anne Whittle. Lots of Anne's back then. Anne Elizabeth's. Mm-hmm. Old Demdike was operating as a cunning woman. Everyone knew her. She was in her 80s. She lived with her daughter, Elizabeth Davis, and Elizabeth had three children. Elizabeth, Anne, and Elizabeth. <laughs> Just kidding. James. Okay, James. <laughs> Allison and Janet. 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 Janet with an E. Okay. Because she operated as a cunning woman, it wasn't unusual that the whole family believed in magic and they all believed that they could use it and that they had these powers because their grandmother did. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, for a long time before all of this crazy witch fever came up, the word witch hadn't necessarily meant evil. It could often be used interchangeably as a term for a healer, a wise woman, a cunning woman. So Mm -hmm. like people would refer to Old Demdike as the village witch, but they didn't mean it in a malevolent way. way. Yeah. Yeah. You need a potion? Oh, yeah. Old Demdike's a witch. Old Demdike owned a house called Malkin Tower, which sounds kind of nice, but it really wasn't. This family was very, very poor. Malkin, in fact, is a local word for shit. So oh. they essentially lived in a place that everyone referred to as shit, shit tower. tower. So I'm guessing it wasn't very nice. Yeah. It was said that they were barely getting by. They were family stuck in poverty. Old Demdike 
was the matriarch of the family and she had been widowed for 11 years. And I think he was mostly the breadwinner. So once he passed, they didn't have a real good way to support the family. She was already 70. Yeah. (laughs) So you're expecting her to go get married or something? They were known to be kind of the local beggars. That's Mm. how they made a lot of their money outside of old Demdike doing her cunning women work. They would go out and beg, especially the children from local townspeople. They would offer to perform odd jobs here and there. And they were just, like I said, barely getting by. Elizabeth Davis was described as having some kind of facial deformity. It was said that like she had one eye that was much lower than the other. Oh, people were not kind back then to people who were different. No, they still aren't. So I don't know that she left the house much. Okay. She did have three children. Two of the children, James and Allison, were born by one man, and then Janet was born by a different man. So this whole tale that leads to the witch trials begins on March 21st of 1612. The oldest daughter, Allison Davis, was on her way to Trodden Forest on a little forest path when she encountered a peddler from Halifax, and his name was John Law, and he was with his son Abraham. It's unclear whether she meant to try and buy from him or if she was begging for him, but he had some pens, some little metal pens that he was carrying. And these were often associated with witchcraft in the 17th century to be used in like love magic. And perhaps that's why Allison wanted them. She wanted to take them back to her grandmother, Old Demdike. But how the story goes, for whatever reason, whether she was trying to buy them or she was begging for them, John refused to give them to her. He accused her of being a witch and said he didn't want to sell them to her. Why does he have them? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Some say that he didn't tell her that, that he actually was just lazy and didn't want to dig them out of his pack because it was at the bottom of his backpack and it would have been such a small transaction. He just didn't want to deal with it. Whatever it was, Allison got mad and she cursed him. Like, like fuck full you, dude. on pointing of the finger. Yeah, I they just said you. she cursed him. Like, okay. I don't know what that means back then. Like, the middle if finger. she was like, I hope you die. Or if she was like, fuck she off, spit dude. on him. Could have been. Spit on the floor or something. You're an asshole. Whatever she did, they split up. He started walking away and all of a sudden he fell. Oh. From the legal records that are out there, because surprisingly we have legal records from there, the detailed description of his condition when he fell was that his head drew to the side, his eyes and face deformed, and his speech could not be understood. His arms became lame, especially on the left side. Based on that description and what we know today, Medically, it was most likely he had a stroke. Mm. I was reading and they were saying, you know, he just had this heated exchange. This girl just cursed him and it could have just caused his blood pressure to rise. And that could have triggered a stroke that was kind of just waiting to happen. Yeah. So that's what occurred. Kind of reminding me of Mayfair Witches, though, that new show. I haven't watched oh, it. I haven't watched it. She has the ability to make things happen inside someone's body. Interesting. She doesn't want to, but she can do it. <laughs> <laughs> So John Law did not think anything of it. He was not accusing her of doing anything to him. But Allison, having grown up in this family and believing that she had powers, she was convinced that she had done it to him when she Mm. cursed him. So much so that she accompanied Abraham to his father's bedside and she began begging for his forgiveness. And she tried to attempt reversing the curse because she believed she had placed it upon him and it was all her fault. Oh, no. Now, we don't know much about the mindset of Allison, but it has been theorized that perhaps she wasn't all with it. Oh, I gotcha. Yep. A little slow. A little slow. But her belief in her own ability to cause other harms through witchcraft, she thought she had done it, meant that she was admitting to this crime. 
it was brought to the Justice of the Peace, Mr. Roger Noel. And he summoned Allison, her mom, Elizabeth, and her brother James to appear before him on March 30th, 1612. So just nine days after this event occurred. Janet, for whatever reason, was not included when they rounded up the whole family, perhaps because she was only nine years old at the time. But this girl, Allison, was so guilt ridden that she admitted to Roger. She said, I did it. I know it was me. I cursed him. And she said she had sold her soul to the devil and that she had ordered him to hurt John Law when he would not sell her the pens. Maybe she did, though, like in her head. Maybe. And she thought and believed that she did it. Mm -hmm. Maybe she could. Maybe Maybe she she really was a witch. Now, what happens next is kind of crazy. So James is there and Elizabeth is there. And this is not a family that, for whatever reason, sticks together in the time of crisis. Her brother, James, said, yeah, that's right. My sister's a witch. In fact, she confessed to bewitching a local child a couple years ago. And there's no record of Elizabeth trying to defend her own daughter either. They just want her gone or something? It's really weird. This family is weird. And then Elizabeth, just out of the blue, says, yeah, it's possible my daughter's a witch. In fact, my mother, old Demdike, also has a mark on her body that resembles a witch's mark. And back in these days, it was said that one way to prove that someone was a witch is that they would have a mark that the devil would leave on them permanently to seal in their obedience and service to him. It said that he could create the mark by raking his claws across their flesh, Mm. licking the skin to produce a death score pattern or using a hot iron to produce a blue or red brand. Well, any of this could just look like a mole or a birthmark or a birthmark. Yes. There was also something called the witch's teat, which was a raised bump somewhere on your body. It's often depicted as having a wart-like appearance. So if you just have some weird mole and you're acting suspicious, you could have been fucked back then. Yeah. And Elizabeth is saying her mom had something like that. And these people just couldn't shut up while they were there. (laughs) She can't protect her daughter and she's throwing her mom under the bus too. And my mom and, and James is like, yeah, my sister's definitely a witch. And then Allison is like, well, if we're bringing this up, I just want you guys to know that there's another witch in the area. Her name's Old Chaddix and her daughter Anne Redfern also are guilty of witchcraft. See, another Anne. Anne and Anne. (laughs) So as I said before, Old Chaddix was the matriarch of yet another family. But here's the thing. These two families despised each other. Mm. Allison was under the belief that Chaddix and Anne were really witches and the families had been feuding for years because at one point the Chaddix family had broken into the Malkin Tower home and stolen goods that were valued at about one pound. That's approximate to about 100 pounds now. But remember, these families are very, very poor. Mm-hmm. So having that stolen was a big deal. Furthermore, John Devis, who was the father of Allison, became very ill. And on his deathbed, he told his daughter that if he died, it was old Chaddix's doing because he said she had threatened to harm his family if he didn't keep paying her annually for their protection. See, he was paying the Chaddix family in oatmeal because they didn't have any other money. Mm-hmm. And Allison said the one year that he didn't make his payment was the year he died. Okay. So I guess Allison just saw this as her chance because she's in front of the judge. She's like, well, by the way, if I'm going to go down, I want these two to go down as well. (laughs) But she didn't stop there. She accused old Chaddix of murdering four other men. And she also accused her of making clay figures. And back in the day, if you made clay figures, that was considered part of witchcraft. I think it was similar to like a voodoo doll. Okay. So that led to old Demdike, old Chaddix, and Anne Redfern being summoned to appear before the Justice of the Peace Knoll just four days later. 
both old Demdike and old Chaddix were in their 80s and they were both blind. They were not in good shape. Wow. Both of them? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's rough times, but yeah. they lived into their 80s. That was crazy back then, probably. Yeah. And maybe that was part of why people thought they were witches. Yep. Instead of denying it, they both admitted to selling their souls to the devil. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just confession <laughs> time, I guess. Do they not know where this leads? I don't know. That's what a lot of people are like. Why would they do this? Yeah. Maybe it hadn't come to their town really yet. They hadn't seen what happened. I think that might be part of it is like this is a very remote part. They didn't know about all of this. They didn't realize the ramifications mm-hmm. of what they were saying and what it would lead to. I don't really know. It's kind know. of baffling. I'm kind of just picturing these old women, though, more like saying, yeah, I'm a witch. What's it to you? Or something <laughs> I think like so. that. They're just like, real. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yeah, fuck off. I've been a witch for Why years. Why am I here? <laughs> and you know what? The truth is they are witches. Like if you look at how it was termed back in the day, they were both cunning women. That's how yeah. they made a living. So yeah. Yeah, somebody brings witches. them in and like, yeah, I'm yeah. a witch. But for them to be like, yeah, I sold my soul to the devil, which maybe yeah. they did. Or maybe they were just having fun. They're like, yeah, of course I sold my soul to the devil. Cunning women are cunning. <laughs> they're like sarcastic old yeah. women. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did. Anyways, they took it as evidence. The one person who refused to admit to being a witch was old Chaddix's daughter, Anne. But at this point, Roger Knoll had three people who had admitted to guilt of witchcraft. And that was old Demdike, old Chaddix, and Allison. And for whatever reason, he just threw Anne in with them. And he was like, well, if these three are, which you probably are too. Aww. And so she kind of got thrown in with them. And he sent them to Lancaster Castle to await an official trial. Now, like I mentioned before, Roger Knoll was Mr. Ambition. So he's getting real excited. He mm. now has four witches in his castle. And he gets to have a trial that could capture the attention of King James. Yep. So that would have been a good story. He had four witches now, but then something even crazier happens because that's just how this case is going to go. On Good Friday, which was about a month after these four women were put into jail, everyone should have been at church. Uh oh. And there were people missing. Okay. Because of the way that things were in the world or in England at the time, the justice of the peace were supposed to be keeping watchful eyes for those who did not show up. A whole town. Well, Elizabeth DeVis was not there. She was, remember, the daughter of old Demdike and the mother of Allison. Instead of going to church, she organized a meeting at Malkin Tower. Many people attended and to feed them, James DeVis went and stole a sheep from a neighbor because that's a good thing to do when you're... <laughs> Family is already accused of being witches. Yeah, it was still sheep. (laughs) (laughs) What happened at the house that day, nobody really knows. But there were quite a few people. They don't know if it was just people coming to support the family because they had been arrested. It could have been a celebration because it's right before Easter. It's Good Friday. They could have all been just doing a Catholic ritual. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they were all witches. And they were conspiring on how they were going to get back at local law enforcement. One of those things was probably happening. But they're the ones that turned themselves in. Yeah, the four that are in the castle. So word reached Noel that there was a gathering going on at Malkin Tower and he sent sheriffs there to arrest anyone present and they arrested those that were there and while taking those away, some of them were like, well, just so you know, this person and this person was also here. They just already left. So they all started just ratting each other out. So there were eight additional people that were arrested in relation to this meeting. It was, of course, Elizabeth Davis and James 
James Davis. Both of them were then added to their family. Mm -hmm. Catherine Hewitt, John Bullcock, and Jane Bullcock. They were a mother and son. Alice Gray and a woman named Janet Preston. And then finally, this one is very controversial. The final woman that they arrested, her name was Alice Nutter. Now, something to say about Alice Nutter is that she wouldn't have really fit in with this group. Okay. How so? As I said, the Devis and the Chaddix family, all of them were very poor. They lived in poverty. This wasn't a nice side of town. Alice Nutter was from a wealthy family. In fact, they owned land and she was a widow and she had inherited the land and owned it freely as a single woman because her husband mm. was dead and that wasn't accepted back in the time. The fact that she would have been sitting there with a bunch of beggars essentially doesn't make sense. Someone turned her into or she was at this place. A lot of people suspect that perhaps she was walking in the area and someone mm. assumed she was going to Malkin Tower. She was also a known Catholic. Okay. Her family was. Her Two of her uncles had been arrested as priests and there was just a lot going on. So they or think she was looking for a little potion thing. If they're known for what they do, could have she been. needed a little something. I don't know. But she will come out quite a bit here in a minute. I have another theory on why she was arrested, but she was lumped in with all of these and she's the one that just kind of doesn't make sense. Okay. So these new eight people that were accused, seven of them were sent to Lancaster Castle to join the other four who were awaiting trial already. One of them, Janet Preston, she actually lived across the border in Yorkshire. So she was sent over there because that would have been where her jurisdiction belonged. Okay. I'll go ahead and tell you her story because she's not going to continue with the rest of them. She was found guilty of witchcraft and she was executed by hanging in July of 1612 just for showing up at Malkin Tower. Nobody knows why she was there, what they were doing, but she was associated as a witch and killed. So let's talk about Lancaster Castle and what it was like to be in prison there. So we now have 11 prisoners all accused of witchcraft and the way that they would keep the prisoners is they would put them all together in one cell. Oh. And it wasn't just the 11 of them. They wanted to keep about 20 people per cell. So they just had nine other people crammed in with them that were there for various other crimes and they would be there until trial happened. Castles are very dark. They're very cold. They're very damp. Hmm. And so there were 20 people crammed into a space that was about 20 feet by 12 feet. Oh, yeah. It was disgusting. Yeah. This was in April. It's still cold in England in April and there were rodents everywhere. There was lice. They weren't given any real blankets or anything. It would just be absolute hell. Almost worse than death in a way. I'm sure some passed away just from being in those conditions. There was something called jail fever that would break out just people getting sick because of the abysmal conditions. Mm -hmm. So the whole family is now arrested at this point and there's one person left and that's the nine-year-old Janet. She was not, for whatever reason, sent to the castle. She was not ever brought into question as being a witch. She's just home alone. A lot of people believe it was at this point that she was put under the protection of Roger Noel. And perhaps even he was coaching her because what we will see is Janet will become the star witness against her own family. Oh, this is what I came across. Yes. The Pendle witch child or something like that. And that's going to be Janet DeVis. She was the youngest child of Elizabeth. She was quite small. She was referred to as the runt of the family. I mentioned before that she had a different father from the other two children. So there's a lot of talk about the fact that she may have been teased a lot. She may not have felt like part of the family. Mm. She felt isolated. She may have been angry towards her family. Just things to think about when we start talking about what happened in the trial and why she would turn against her own family. 
She's also nine years old. Yeah. Very susceptible. She's living with the justice of the peace who is running the trials. Yeah. So the other thing I want to bring up before I go into what happened in the actual trial, I want to go back to Alice Nutter. So I said that she was a strong Catholic from a strong Catholic family. When she was accused, she obviously said, I am not a witch. But they said she didn't protest much more because a lot of people believe that she probably was going to meet other Catholics, not at Malkin Tower, but somewhere else. And she wanted to keep them safe. So she never admitted to not being at Malkin Tower. And they believe that's why. Oh, okay. So selfless. Yes. The other thing to know is that she owned land. Of course. Remember what I told you about the Witchcraft Act, that if you are found accused of witchcraft, all of your goods and land are surrendered to the court. Right. So there is some underlying reasons why Mm -hmm. Alice Nutter may have just been pulled into this conveniently. Yep. Unfortunately, a lot of this would happen in other trials throughout the years. Just people that somebody didn't like or had something that they wanted. Yeah. Like you mentioned at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. episode. And you didn't have to have much evidence. So the trials would take place in August of 1612. So at this time, those who had been put into Lancaster Castle had been there almost five months. Oh, that's a long time in those conditions. Old Dim Dyke did not make it. She actually passed away. She was 80. Yes. And she was crowded in there. And she already couldn't see. Yeah. Chaddix made it. Wow. She just pulled right through. But now everything we know about this story and the reason we have such detail is because there was a book written by the county clerk who came from London. His name was Thomas Potts. He traveled to capture the trial in writing and he kept his notes and he wrote them all up to demonstrate the rigor of the witch trial proceedings. The name of this book is The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster. The Wonderful Discovery? Yes. Some people bring this up because there's The Discovery of Witches, which I'm reading right now. And some people think it might be a play back to this book. Interesting. Now, Potts was using this as well because he was a political social climber. And (laughs) the documentary I watched said it was basically just a way to brown nose his way up to James the first. Why does everybody need his attention (laughs) so badly? Because he's the king. Jeez. He made a dedication in his book to the patron Thomas Nivett, who was the man who arrested the main guy behind the gunpowder plot that was against King James to get him assassinated. So that was one way that he was trying to capture James' attention. <laughs> And they said it was also a clear connection to anyone reading this book that witches and Catholics are the same. Mm. They're all traitors or terrorists. Okay. Now, I did try to read this book. It is not for casual reading. It's written in (laughs) Old English. It's no joke. It's like reading another language. It was very oh, hard to read. I bet. So I, I had to look a few for of those and I haven't read them yet. They're really old books. It was really hard to mm-hmm. read. And I tried so much. And then I just had to find translations because <laughs> like they use different letters than we I do know. now. Now, something else to know is that the accused were not allowed to have defense counsel. Yeah. So there was a prosecutor there that was coming to represent those who accused them, but they did not have the ability because when you're accused of witchcraft, you're not allowed to come to your defense. Because you can use your witchcraft. Lawyer. Exactly. You can <laughs> bewitch them to, I guess, What's the point things. of a trial then? <laughs> Just kill them, right? They could also not call any witnesses to speak on their behalf. 
So you're going into a trial knowing that everyone coming up is just going to accuse and throw things at you. And the only thing you can do as an accused person is say, I didn't do that. Nope, that's not right. Nope, I didn't. Yeah. That's all you got. That's all you can do. And remember, most of these people are very poor. Mm-hmm. I would say most of them probably can't read. They're very simple folks. Like they don't understand even the process of a trial. Right. Surprisingly, even though there were lots of witch trials back then, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that you would be accused, even with all of these odds against you. They said back in those days, it was a probability that 75% of people brought into trial for being a witch would be acquitted. Oh, which was kind of a surprising. Yeah. I mean, this was only in England. I don't know what it was like in the Salem witch trials. But at this time, a lot of people were accused and people did plead their case somehow. The problem is that we already have people who have admitted in front of Roger Knoll that they were witches. So it didn't look really good for them. No. So if you read the book, he goes into every single person and how it went when they came up to the stand. I'm not going to go through all of those because it's a lot. But Allison came up and she basically admitted, yeah, she did it. She said she had magic powers. I guess she said she did mean to. But then she regretted it. And then she regretted it. And she said she wanted to help him at the point. She thought she might be able to restore the peddler to his health, but she wasn't able to. She wasn't strong enough as a witch. She said the only person she thought that would have been able to help him was her grandmother, Old Demdike. When writing about Allison, Thomas Potts was actually very kind about her. He felt sorry for her, but he still said she was guilty. Her mother, Elizabeth, was next up on the stand, and he was not nice about her. He talked (laughs) about how deformed she was, Oh, which is pretty fucked up. He said that she had one eye looking down and the other one looking up, and she was strangely deformed, and that must be a mark of the devil. Watch what you say. He even said something along the lines of, she was so strangely deformed, something that he had not seen in the like of 400 years. He hasn't been alive for 400 years, so (laughs) stop being such an exaggerator, Thomas. He's a vampire. (laughs) So Elizabeth was up on the stand and she had pled not guilty. It was at this time that Roger Knoll unleashed his secret weapon, which was his star witness. (laughs) Yep. The nine-year-old Janet Devis. When Janet appeared in the courtroom, Elizabeth began screaming at the top of her lungs. And she was like, no, because she knew her daughter did not understand Um, what was about to happen. Yeah. And she also knew that she was going to go down. Yeah. Her own daughter was coming in as a witness for the prosecution. She knew that she was doomed. And so she started crying and screaming and they removed her completely from the court because they said Janet could not testify on what she saw with her mother in the room. So Mm. Elizabeth didn't even get to hear what her daughter was going to say against her. A child would never have been used as a key witness in most cases. But in that book that Mr. James the first had written called Demonology, he had made it very clear that when it came to the cases of punishing witches for their crimes, it was acceptable to bend the normal rules of providing evidence in a trial. What this did is it opened it up to the ability to use a child witness. We don't use child witness in most cases today. No, not unless they are specifically involved in that. It has to be what like, happened. Yeah, and it's and usually... And even then, they'll try not to bring a child up on the stand. Not in the stand. They might have them talk to like a child psychologist in the background or something like that. Well, if like the crime was done to them, sometimes they still will have a child go up on the stand. That's it depends. True. But of course, this guy writes it in such a way that it does that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
basically he wanted everyone to be accused and die, I guess. And he was like, use whatever means possible to make these people look guilty. Mm. I already mentioned a little bit of what we felt like might have been motivation for Janet. We don't know what was going on in that household, but doesn't seem to be a lot of closeness or affection or loyalty going on since they were all accusing each other. Yeah. Once her mother was removed, Janet actually stood up on the table. And in the documentary I watched, they said that it felt like to them, it was a child just reciting lines that she had been told. Probably. She said, my mother is a witch and that I know to be true. I have seen her spirit in the likeness of a brown dog, which she called Ball. The dog did ask what she would have him do. And she answered that she would have him help her to kill John Robinson of Barley, Jane Robinson, Henry Mitten. Janet went on to describe the meeting at Malkin Tower on Good Friday at noon. She said there were about 20 people there. And she also said her mother told her that they were all witches and that's why they were there. Mm. She described the food that they ate and she named six people that she had seen there whose names she knew, which included all of those who were there accused. Oh, okay. Now, back in those days, they didn't allow children to be witnesses because they were seen as unreliable. Mm-hmm. Kids can be swayed. But what happened in this case is that she came across as very innocent and believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How it was described is that she spoke with such conviction and she was like so sure of herself. Yeah. She was very convincing. She's a great actress. I don't know what it was, but like this was like the nail in the coffin. It sealed the deal. This nine year old girl. For all we know, they said, if you say exactly what happened, your family will be let go. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people say she had no idea. She was nine years old. Mm-hmm. You think about that. You have a nine-year-old daughter. Like, they don't understand the repercussions of why. Yeah. And this is not a girl that was well-educated. She didn't understand the justice system. No, nine-year-olds don't understand anything. Just the other day, my daughter, I gave her some hot chocolate. She spilled it in the car, and her grand idea was to clean it up with white gloves. <laughs> I open the door. I'm like, what made you think that that that's what you were supposed to do? And she had also been living for the last five months with the justice of the peace. So she went from living in very like, that's true. She's been with him for a long time. And she was probably treated in a way she's never been treated in her entire life. So Mm -hmm. in her mind, she's like, no, this is good. I want to stay here. I don't want to go back. It's really sad. Yeah. This nine-year-old was the one that would lead to every single one of these people being convicted. Hmm. Allison already sealed her fate like nobody had to help her the other person that had already sealed their fate was old Chaddix she actually I had some story about her she came up on the stand and she admitted and she said yeah I sold myself to the devil she said she had a familiar everybody else had said they were not guilty and then Janet was the one that determined that yes they were because if she could remember all of their names and her mom had said that they were there to do witchy things she must be telling the truth Ooh, I have to watch how I talk about things now it's true my daughter will walk into an entire room at thousand people and say something about it. Now, Janet wasn't the only one that spoke against her mother. They brought James into the stand. And I was reading about this and James had been living in the dungeon of the castle. And he was a pretty healthy boy when he went in. I think he was in his teenage years. It never really said. But when he came into the courtroom, he couldn't even walk on his own. Mm -hmm. He couldn't see anymore because he had lived in darkness for so long. Like, He was in a really bad way. But on the stand, he also accused his mother, Elizabeth, of witchcraft. So these kids really didn't love their mom. He said he had seen her make a clay figure of one of her victims. And he also said that his mother had four teeth from men that she had killed and that they had been buried in Malkin Tower along with the clay figures in the ground. 
Some believe that he gave evidence against his mother because he thought it would help it would him. get him off. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem was little Miss Janet stood up after James spoke and said, I know my brother to be a witch too. Oh my gosh. She condemned him to the death penalty as well. Everyone talks about, if you read this book, about how articulate she was and the judge was very swayed by her. They were so impressed and they realized that she had to be telling the truth. So by the end of the trial, the only person found not guilty was Alice Gray. I don't know how she got off. Maybe her name was not said by Janet. That was the one that she forgot. But Alice did get away and I don't have very much about her. I really don't have a lot about the others other than Alice Nutter. And unfortunately, I think just because of their place in society, yeah, they nobody don't, really gives right. them any mind. And it's nope. very sad. I'm surprised they're even giving them a trial. So the trial ended on the 19th and they were all taken to Gallo Hills, which is Pendle Hill. Mm. And they were all swiftly given the sentence. I mean, it was only one day later and they were sentenced to death by hanging. I was watching a documentary and they were talking about how horrendous hanging was back in these days. Oh, I know. It was not a quick death. Yeah. It was very long and painful. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes up to 30 minutes or something. Crazy. And people would just sit there and watch them. Yeah, they liked it. Writhing in pain, yeah. Yeah. basically being strangled to death slowly. And they said that in some of these public hangings, members of the family would run up and try and help oh, by pulling to make it the legs yeah. to break their necks so that they wouldn't suffer. So this was just tragic and sad. And I'm assuming Janet was probably there to watch her entire family die. So that is the story of the Pendle Witch Trial and what happened. It was very unfortunate. It was all started by this one event with Allison walking to the town. She wanted some some little pens. And her heart was too big. She's like, I said a bad thing in my mind. I didn't mean it. I know. And it never really said how old she was. I assume if Janet was the youngest and James was in his teenage years, she was probably like 13, maybe. Yeah, she's still a child. So it's just tragic. Yeah. And these older matriarchs, you know, they were just doing the best they could for their family. My story doesn't end there. I have to talk about Janet. Okay. So Janet set a very dangerous precedent because she was there and she was the main witness that led to all of these people being executed. Yeah. And it was published in this discovery of witches book from Thomas Potts. And from that book, there was another like guidebook for justices to use that was called Country Justice. Uh. And it used this case as an example of how to conduct a witch trial with the star witness being a child. It set that precedent that using children in witch trials was okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. This Country Justice book we know is traced back to what the Salem judges would reference when putting together witch trials in America. So that is how this is all connected. Yeah. And I know that here, a lot of it was kids pointing fingers. Yes. Now I have another kind of full circle moment that I want to share because Janet Devis kind of disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to her after this trial, but her name did pop up again in March 24 of 1634. She would have been 31 years old, and her name was listed as one of 20 that were tried at Lancaster again for the crime of witchcraft. Oh. She was accused of the murder of a woman by a 10-year-old boy (gasps) named Edmund Robinson. Oh, wow. So this 10-year-old boy, Edmund, he was late one evening coming home, and he was getting in trouble by his parents. And this is the story he told his parents as to why he was late. Oh, (laughs) jeez. 
He said he had been picking berries, and while gathering berries, he had seen two greyhounds, and he tried to chase them off, but they didn't run, so he said he began to beat them with a stick. One of the dogs turned into a witch, and the other dog turned into a boy, and then (laughs) the witch turned the boy into a horse. He said, the witch took me away on the horse to a house, and there was a barn, and the barn was full of witches, maybe 60 of them, and from the ceiling, there were all these ropes hanging down, and they were pulling on the ropes, and amazing food came falling down. I was so frightened. Why would you be frightened of good food falling down? Whatever. So I ran away and they chased me for ages and ages. And before I got home, I met a boy with cloven hooves. So I fought him. That's why I'm so scruffy. It's not my fault. And for whatever reason, his parents were like, sounds legit. Let's seems go get plausible. Her. <laughs> These damn witches. Wow. So the father of this boy, Edmund, then took him from village to village in the area to stand in the churches and point out the witches he had seen in that barn. Oh, my gosh. Wow. This is fucking crazy. This little kid (laughs) is single handedly handing out sentences to people he's never actually met. No. And Janet happened to be one of those he pointed out. And so she got thrown in there. Karma for her a little bit. Later in life. Yeah. A little bit. Not that I'm saying we don't know what happened when she was nine, sadly, but no. Karma doesn't mean you deserve it either. No. Karma's just karma. So this bizarre story led to these 20 people being imprisoned and put on trial. Wow. I don't know how Fast they forward then... 31 years, was there another? <laughs> Against Edmund? I don't Edmund? know what happened to Edmund. I don't understand how all of this, though, became the fact that they were accused of murdering a woman. Oh, okay. Missing part of the story. Yeah, so I'm missing that. However, things have changed quite a bit since 1612. There was a new king on the throne. He was not as crazed about witches. And the popular ideas and beliefs around witches had changed. They were in a different era. Mm-hmm. There was more science. Mm-hmm. And so to be accused of witchcraft, people were looking for physical evidence. You couldn't just say, I saw this. Right. You needed to show actual malice done. You needed to be able to prove in some physical way that these women or men were actually witches. So some improvement. Yes. They weren't as quick to just execute people right away. They also brought up the fact that this was a 10-year-old boy. And could he be a reliable witness? Oh, so they don't die? No. Okay, good. So it's been 22 years. Things have changed quite a bit. They did not know what to do with this trial. So they actually sent four of the women. Janet was not one of them, but they sent four of the women to London. And they were asking the crown and the powers that be in London what they should do with this trial. And it was said while those four women were there, they were kind of put on display as witches. And they said that the way the London townspeople treated them at that time, people weren't afraid of witches anymore. They were actually kind of laughing about them Mm. and they were throwing things at them and there was even a play written about them while they were there and so it became kind of more of this I don't know how to describe it it wasn't like this gripping fear that witchcraft had been before it was more of this like novelty and like oh you're a witch ha 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 yeah like it is now I think so this was kind of the beginning of that London said, you need to question Edmund, this 10-year-old boy, a little bit closer. And they did. They put him to many interrogations and he broke. He admitted that he fabricated it. (laughs) He had made it all up because he didn't want to get in trouble from his parents. Wow. And so the 20 women were not executed. At that time, they should have been let go. But Janet and I guess a lot of the people there, the way that jail or prison worked back then is if you were let go, you had to pay back to the castle for your room and board. It's supposed to be the other way around. (laughs) So fucked up. (laughs) 
Oh my I didn't quite understand this, but I saw this in a couple of sources. And so Janet was never released from Lancaster Castle. And a lot of people believe because she was too poor to pay her way out. So it's believed that she lived in the dungeons for quite a while. There's no official record of her death. Wow. Okay. But they know in August of 1636, so two years after she was arrested, she was still incarcerated in the dungeons of Lancaster Castle. Hmm. So that's her story. So that older guy just got rid of her at some point. He's like, thanks for prosecuting your family. You're good to go. And he probably got the land from Alice Nutter. Mm -hmm. So that's the Pendle Witch Trial. It wasn't until the Witchcraft Act of 1735 that a complete reversal in attitudes was officially marked in record. Many influential figures by that time believed it was an impossible crime and there was really no way to prove that someone was practicing witchcraft in a way that would cause harm to someone. Mm -hmm. So they replaced the death penalty. The only penalties they had at that time were for pretense of witchcraft. So you would get punished for saying that you could cause witchcraft similar to like a con artist and you would be subject to fines and imprisonment. So complete reversal. So you couldn't pretend you were one. You couldn't be like a cunning woman or anything like that. 1735 would be after Salem happened. I think everyone just realized that things got out of control. Yeah. And they wanted to just push that to the side and say witchcraft doesn't exist. And if you're saying it does, then you're going to be charged now at this point. (laughs) That's a bleep in history. That reminds me of the lady from the vampire episode when she was like, vampires don't exist. Yes. Remember. And if you pretend to be one or you're talking about it, that's when I'm going to punish you. And that was the exact same thing. Basically what happened here. So the Witchcraft Act in the 1500s was very different than the Witchcraft Act yeah. 200 years later. Mm. In 2012, Lancashire commemorated 400 years since the witch trials, which they felt like was one of the darkest periods in Lancaster's history. They erected a statue of Alice Nutter, a local artist named David Palmer, unveiled it in her hometown of Roughly. But there's still this like, in a way, it's kind of a sick thing. And I think it happens in Salem as well. Lancashire is now known as Witch County. And the Lancaster University uses as their logo, a witch on a broomstick named Pendle. Oh. Today, witches, you know, we think of them as creatures that we dress up for as Halloween. They wear the little triangle black hats. They look like the Wicked Witch from Wizard of Oz. But we all need to remember that when the witch trials were happening, these were people. Yeah. In a way, we take it lightly when we go to Lancashire because they have this whole area with all these witchy shops and there's like Mm. witches everywhere. And I think back to it being that way when I visited Salem. Right. And it was really fun to visit it. But like when you really stop and think about it, it's dark. These were women that were just doing their thing, trying to make a living, trying to literally survive a lot of them. Yeah, they were barely hanging on and they were just plucked out of their life and said, you're a witch. And then they were killed. Yeah. So it's a sad story. These witch trials, they don't have happy endings, but it's an important part of our history that we need to know about because this could happen again. Yeah, because it wasn't just witches in this particular story. It was Catholics. Yes. People being persecuted once again for their religion. Tale as old as time. It's people who stand out from the norms of society. And it's not even what's standing out. It's because one person was like, nope, I don't want that anymore. I'm changing it. I know you've lived here for a really long time. Your family has too. And you've been Catholic for a really long time. But too bad. So sad. That's and enough. <laughs> and Henry VIII, it was literally because he couldn't keep his dick in his pants. And he wanted crazy. to marry another I woman. Know. And because of that, all of these women were All of this killed. happened. And you go back even further to the German dude who wrote Malleus mm-hmm. Malefic. 
whatever because Hogwarts <laughs> because he couldn't keep his dick in his pants he was so like so much has happened to- because of men's dicks <laughs> It's and just the truth. The truth is, if we go back to Pope Innocent, whatever, the eighth, I think he was, who he started He was probably it. mad because he couldn't use his dick. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Anyways, we get way off always. It's just funny because, I mean, just going back to the butterfly effect episode, it just is the case. Men make a lot of decisions for the wrong reasons and they have yeah. catastrophic results. Yes, and I'm sure there's a butterfly effect that would start this whole witch trial movement. Yeah, we saw some. You mentioned multiple. Some. Here's this guy and it's bad weather. Yeah. If it wasn't bad weather that day, maybe nothing would have ever happened. And if he hadn't married a woman from Denmark who gave him the crazy idea of witches in the first place. Well, and that- then he made it his life's mission to go after witches and rewrite the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> What is it with these men wanting to reinvent the religions? Anyway, it's be- a cult. <laughs> <laughs> we go into so many cases thinking one thing. And when we really, really research it, we realize why. Oh, I know. Things are as we saw on your episode last week with Lacey Peterson. Yep. Yep. Many Never of know. our cases. Almost all of them, actually. I can't say that I've researched one case yet for this podcast where there wasn't something that I was like, I'll be damned. I know. <laughs> like, really? That's why? Wow. Yep. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Yes. I liked this episode. Come back next week for lab reports. Yay. If you have any stories, that would be at lucidlabpodcast.gmail.com. We are on all the social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook. You can also please, please go leave us ratings on any of the podcast platforms that allow it and where you listen. Help us get the word out if you are enjoying listening to me and Jessica. Share with a friend. Share with a family member. And with that, we will sign off. But in the meantime, stay lucid. And don't believe little boys who come home late and claim that there were witches taking him off and feeding him scrumptious food. (laughs) I was like, there might be. There might be. But not the Willy Wonka bullshit. (laughs) See you later, guys. Bye. Goodbye.